Greetings again in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Pastor Nature H. Gilbert Sr. coming to you from Underwall Ministries here in Alta Vista, Virginia. We thank God for you joining us this morning at our Sunday School Hour, October the 8th, Lesson 6 out of our King James Version of our Standard Commentary. Uh, if you have any uh, universal lesson plan, you can follow along with us this morning. Uh, any other literature other than Union Gospel Press, they have a different lesson plan, but if you have UMI, David C. Cook, if you have uh, uh, a standard commentary, got any other lesson plan, should follow along with us this morning. If not, we ask you to turn to Romans 7th chapter, verses 1 through 12, that we are studying. Our lesson today is Old and New. Our devotional readings coming out of the Jeremiah 7th chapter, verses 1 through 15. Our background scripture is Romans 7th chapter 1 through 25. And our lesson text this morning is verses 1 through 12. As we read this morning, our God's law is love is our unit study. Our unit two is faith triumphs, law fails. As we look at our lesson aims this morning, we want to identify what Paul uh, 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 know what sin was and then define flesh as Paul uses this term in our lesson today. Then uh, state a way that we may be able to guard against uh, the wrong view of the Old Testament law that we should have that we have heard and expressed. So we want to look at that today this morning. The old and the new. Uh, let us read our scripture, Romans 7th chapter, verses 1 through 12. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over man as long as he liveth. Verse 2, for the woman who has a husband is bound to the law of her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband is dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if, while the husband liveth, she be married to another man, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Verse 4, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married uh, to another, even to know who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth of fruit unto death. Verse 6, And that now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in the newness of the spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. Verse 7, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I have not known sin, but by the law. For I have not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Verse 8, But sin taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of competence, uh, that without the law, sin was dead. Verse 9, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Verse 10, And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. 11, For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. Verse 12, Now found text, and wherein the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just and good. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy and his righteous word. In our introduction this morning, 
the Ten Commandments while teaching at the college. He said, I became aware of the local controversy of the national significance. Beginning in 1950, a fraternal organization was donating monuments of the Ten Commandments to state and local governments. And the project gained traction uh, when they endorsed by the director Cecil Me DeMille, the film director, and publicly in the movie of the Ten Commandments. The number of these impressive granite slabs is not uh, known, but estimated to be over 150. One was donated in 1959 to a city where I, uh, where, uh, I live decades later. It stands on the street corner outside of the downtown police station. A lengthy court battle to remove the statue ensued, citing violations of separation between church and state. And that was resolved in 2005. The monument could stay. When I worked in the city, it was uh, a block from the office, overgrown shrubbery, partially blocked the site of it, and a few passerby even noticed its presence. Does that reflect the attitude Christians talk about the law of Moses of the Ten Commandments uh, form to the core? Is the body of law merely a relic of a long ago past? Does freedom from the law mean we can ignore it? Uh, in our lesson context this morning, Paul is addressing the above question about the law in Romans 7th chapter. A deep dive into the purpose and the application of the Old Testament law uh, to Christians. Tension between Christians of the Jewish and the Gentile faith backgrounds are also in our text uh, in the book of Romans. Sometimes it's no longer an issue in the church today. Even so, the question of the place of the law, uh, 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 of the law of Moses as regulations for human behavior is still debated. Therefore, while understanding Paul's outgoing argument uh, in Romans and can be challenging, a diligent study in this book essentially for the practice of biblical Christianity. The book of Romans is the fullest expression of all Paul's teachings, and he calls it my gospel. Uh, Paul refers to his teachings in the way as he draws frequently uh, as the Jewish heritage. On one account, uh, Romans features more than 50 uh, direct quotes of the Old Testament. In Romans 5, 6, and 7, Paul identifies the three great triumphs of humankind, sin, tyrant, excuse me, of humankind, sin, death, and the law. And of these, they had a role in oppressing men and women and robbing them of their possibility of a reconciled relationship with the Lord. Each of these three had dominion, the language of tyranny. Death has reigned in terror since the sin of Adam back in the garden. Sin has reigned in the lives of men and women, leading to the consequences of judgment. Law, when rather mosaic or is a secular law, exists in authority to define and to punish wrong behavior. Paul returned to the discussion of rightful place of the law in God's plan for everyday Christians. So as we get into our study this morning, we will again, we want to look at uh, Paul's approach uh, to this text when he know what sin was and then define what he talked about flesh in our lesson. Then how can we guard against uh, this wrong view of the Old Testament law in our relationship with Christ today? So let us get into our line upon line discussion for our text, Bondage of the Law, Romans 7, chapter verses 1 through 6, uh, released from death, verses 1 through 3. Our first verse says, Know ye not, brethren, but I speak of them that know the law, that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. 
And he says that here, as long as you are living, you are under the law. There's nothing that can take you away from being away from under the law except for death. But he said that uh, this relationship as he uh, reflects to Jesus Christ is a different uh, 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 death and it's a different life that we are living. We are living a life in Christ. But as long as we have the law, that law has dominion over us. But what Christ did, he said he came to what? To fulfill the law. So it's a different aspect of the law. We don't disallow the law. We don't throw the law away. But the law has a different... Remember he said that he told Israel, God said that I wrote it upon tablets, but now I want to write the law upon the what? Tablets of your heart. In Christianity... We, we have the Holy Spirit that allows that law to be a part of us, speaking directly to us into our hearts so that uh, all of us, we are being released from that death by what Christ did on Calvary. Verse 2, he said, For the woman who has a husband is bound to the law, and her husband as long as he lives, but the husband is dead, she is loose from the law and her husband. He says, to illustrate, Paul is talking about the custom of marriage, and we should be careful, really, not to apply this teaching to marriage itself, but he was trying to teach us about that relationship of life and death, or being freed from the law. He's teaching about this application of law regarding death. In doing so, he uses this marriage as an example. Paul points out that the marriage to the wife is bound by the law to her husband. It recognizes the reality of the Roman and Jewish society of that day. A man might divorce his wife, but among the old uh, covenant Jews, but there was no such thing as a wife divorcing her husband. Ain't that real? He said, we should take care to be distracted to the point of pondering of how uh, this legal system is superior in this regard. Paul is not defending the divorce law of his day. Rather, he is using this law as an example. Marriage is a lifelong commitment, but the commitment would terminate if the husband would die. Verse 3 says, so then if. While the husband lives and she has been married to another man, she shall be called what? An adulteress. But if the husband is dead, she is free from that law, and so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Paul, again, is using this a, 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 a hypothetical situation of marriage to be able to contrast his, his a point that he's trying to make. The situation is not one of a, 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 a bigamy, but adultery, the bond of this woman's initial marriage had not been broken by death of the first husband. So as long as the first husband is living, she is called an adulteress. But he said that once that husband dies, then she is no adulteress anymore, though she even was married again before to another man. This is because the situation with her previous husband no longer applies after his death. Released from the Spirit, verse 4. He said that, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also have become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should not be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth a fruit unto God. Paul now turns to the marriage analogy toward the spiritual parallel. In the previous <coughs> chapter, he presented the fact of Christians being 
dead to sin as a concurrent as being a new life in Christ. It is not that the law itself uh, 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 itself had died, but Christians that are dead to the law. We are not under the law. We are under grace that is by Jesus Christ. The law of her husband still stands while the husband lives, but if he dies, it is no longer applies to that surviving wife. As believers who have died to sin, we therefore, the law uh, defines what sin is, but we are not married to that law any longer. We are in union with Christ, and when we marry to Christ, that disannuls that uh, relationship that we had uh, through God, through the law. Now we have a new covenant relationship. It's through Jesus Christ, that new relationship that we have with him. And then verse 5 says that, And then when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which was by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Paul introduces now a different way of expressing the pre-Christian life, and that being what? In the flesh. Uh, the word here is translated flesh occurs 147 times in the New Testament. More than 60% of these occurrences in Paul's writing. The word is flexible and must be understood in different ways depending on its context in our text. Uh, Paul uses the Greek word flesh uh, in at least six ways. He talks about creatures in 1 Corinthians 15 and 39. He talks about our bodies when he talks about 1 Corinthians 6 and 16. He talks about the human race when he talks about flesh in Galatians 2 and 16. He talks about morally neutral in the flesh when he says Romans 1 and 3. And then he talks about morally negative in Galatians 6 and 12. And then he talks about the rebellious human nature, the flesh, in Romans 8, 3, and 12. So the flesh, it talks about those last six things. Our physical existence is opposed to the spiritual. Our flesh existence is characterized by the motions or the affections of sin. And then our material existence is weak even prone to sin. Our physical desires are gateways of our violations of the law. Thus, sin's dominion over us, over our body, impulses to control us. Uh, but we produce fruit. But this fruit of sin that leads to death. But sinful behavior wreaks habits on us personally, on our marriages, on our families, on our communities, on the church. Everything is affected by uh, that, that dominion of the flesh that it affects anything that you have uh, that you try to build up a relationship with. And Paul may have in mind the admonition from the law itself that the Lord continues in his iniquities of the fathers, he says, to the third or the fourth generation. But here he says that God continues to punish. It is not so much that God continues to punish children in the third or the fourth generation. What he is telling us is that your, your behavior... Your attitude will affect other people or your children until that behavior uh, will transform into your children. And you wonder why your children act like you because that was what transferred into them. That fruit that leads unto death was those behavioral activities that you had in your life that somehow your kids picked up. So no, the kids, God will not judge your kids based on your sin, but your sin has influences 
on your children and your children's children. You know, it says like father, like son, a lot of the time, or the, the apple don't fall far away from the tree. That means that our behavior had, had, had ramifications on those in our family without us even knowing it. So we need to be careful. So Paul is trying to let us know that these things that happen in our flesh not only causes us difficulty, but it will cause situations to happen in our generations after us if we are not careful. Verse 6, he said, but now we are what? Delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Remember we said old and new. Mm -hmm. See, our new existence allows us to be what? Free from sin, the power of sin, and the penalty of sin. Mm -hmm. This does not mean that we are delivered from the state of permissible lawlessness. That don't mean that we are supposed to just do what we want to do. No, Paul says that we already made the point of freedom from sin is not a license for us to go in sin. So uh, he's going to come up and tell us later, that's not what I'm trying to tell you. He's telling you that you were delivered from that to be able to live holy. We're going to talk about that last. We are holy because God is holy. We're supposed to live toward reaching. Paul talked about, I press toward the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. Our efforts every day is to be able to try to grow closer and closer to walk like Jesus in our life. And that right there will bring us from that old into the newness of life, being in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Our second part is bondage of sin. Uh, uh, Romans 7 chapter, verses 7 through 12. Sin defined by the law. He says, what shall I say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. And for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So the law is our schoolmaster, ain't it right? The law is our schoolmaster. It teaches us right from wrong. It teaches us what God expects of us. And then it warns us of the things that, uh, that, that God is not happy with when we live in those ways in our lives. So the law says, oh yeah, you shouldn't go that way. And, and the law tells us where to go, where we should go, where we can't go. So that benefits us in our personal lives. So it tells us, uh, it's our teacher, it's the one that shows us how to live and how we are not operating in the will of God. Verse 8, he said, but sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, uh, for without the law, sin is dead. So Paul expresses covetedness, uh, having a desire for what is not yours, having desire for what belongs to somebody else. But he, he said that uh, he had experienced this, but he had not been able to control it. See, the word intense concupiscence is the word used for lust. You have this lustful desire, and he refers to this more than just unholy sexual uh, impulses, the word all manner casts broad net of all kinds of undue desires that you have in your life. Knowing the Ten Commandments had made Paul aware 
of those wrong desires that were harbored in his heart. Mm -hmm. Lust is a byproduct of, of material existence, uh, of, which is called the flesh. And the point is, without the law, we would be unaware of God's desires for us, and we would just experience these destructive efforts in our lives of covetousness and inflict them on others without thought of being wrong or even sinful. See, without the law, we wouldn't even knew if we would have been sinning. So it teaches us the, our wrong and, and our sinful ways, and let us see ourselves and open our eyes up so that we can see ourselves and, and not the sins of others. And then part B, death by sin's deception, verses 9 and 10. And our text this morning says, For I was alive without law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. Here Paul says, and he's brought in his discussion to include the larger human experience. Without the law, Paul had been alive. Obviously, uh, the definition and, and the consequences of sin. And thus, he describes the behavior of a child that may have no guilty feelings about selfishly taking a toy from another child. But it describes the pagan world of Paul's day where ambitious self-gratification was often discouraged or encouraged and celebrated even in laws. When this pre-law person confronted the commandment, their sin takes on a, what, a whole new life. The result might be like harmless greediness, but the toll is much higher, spiritual death. One cannot know God's commandments burn them and be in a relationship with him. Therefore, Paul's ironic conclusion is that even though the law was given for our benefit, our violation of the law leads to death. Mm -hmm. Verse 11, he says, For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. He said that he became aware of these dangerous deceptions that plays out in modern culture. What happened happens, whatever happens between a consenting adult is proclaimed in nobody's business. If you're old enough to do it, you can do it, even if it's against God's word. He said that's not right. Just because you're old enough to do it, that don't mean you're supposed to do it. See, we want to have this, that law doesn't give us a license to do whatever we want to do because you're not judged that way anymore. No, but the law is still under control. Amen. See, we want to be allowed to follow our desires mm -hmm. and play on our world today. Yet, it's a fraudulent approach to life. Our lusts and desires are often too fed by self-centered sin. And then we want to find out uh, the rich life by what? Following our, our passions. And, but the end always leads to what? Death. Follow your passions. Follow the word of God. Follow the truth of God's word. But anytime you start following the passions of your, of your heart, and that means that, that they're outside of the will of God. See, sometimes your passions don't in alignment with the will of God. It's good if you're passionate about ministry and it aligns with the will of God. Follow your passions. But most of our passions are what? Lustful passions. And they lead to what? Death. And still leading to life. Verse 12. Wherefore the law is what? Holy. The commandment is holy and just and good. Uh, to leave no doubt, Paul explains the answer to his question, is the law sin? 
He said, oh, Moses, it is neither sin nor is it what? Sinful. It is not the case of the cause of sin, but the definition of sin. See, law defines sin, what is right and wrong. So the law is holy because it defines and the definition of moral purity. If you follow the law, you will be able to walk in moral purity. But he said that the just or righteous because it promotes justice and is good because it is given to the Lord for our benefit. So while Christians may disagree or certain aspects of the application of the Old Testament law, but then we should agree that it's valuable and it's a place where we should study and to learn to live. We should never understand sin. Uh, we will never understand sin or its dire consequences if we ignore the knowledge and teachings of the law. It is still holy. It's still just. And most of all, it is still good for vile behavior. So we thank God for you joining us this morning. Our conclusion is the law today. Uh, 1 Peter 1 and 16 quotes Leviticus 11, 45 and 40, 44 and 45. He said, be ye holy for I am holy. We must agree or disagree. We may disagree on which aspects of the law of Moses still apply today, but it's still one area there is no doubt we press further that we will have an understanding of how God is holy and his law is holy too. So that's profoundly important for us that we wrestle with. We must commit to growing in holiness throughout our lives. To be holy requires a distinction between which is unholy, in God there is one who is distinction between his laws. So uh, same thing is being loving versus being unloving. You can follow the law and, uh, and you can tell people that I'm doing it, but no, it's just like loving and not loving. You can tell me you love me, but your actions, you can tell God I, I, I agree with the law, but it's not you saying that you agree with the law. It's your actions. If there is no God, if there is no lawgiver, there can be no absolute laws in regarding of being holy and loving. But God does exist, doesn't he? He has given us the law for the good of our humankind. The philosophies of the world deceive us in thinking that it's selfish to, of living a full, authentic life when it actually leads to death. But the way to counteract this influence of the world is the way that God intends us is to be able to live this holy life through our relationship with Jesus Christ. So our prayer today is, Lord God, may we never despise your laws. You, may you guard us from the deception of the world which claims that sin is good and satisfying. May your spirit continue uh, to form us and to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, the one without sin. May we pray this in his name. Amen. So I thought to remember this morning, the law is necessary to teach us what is sinful. We thank God for you joining us this morning in our Sunday school hour. Uh, we're going to take a brief pause, about four minutes, and then we'll come back at 930 for our worship hour. Let us bow. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to teach at our Sunday school hour. We ask that you will give us listening audiences. Align us up with people who want to hear and to learn the word of God. We multiply according to your many blessings. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. 
Amen. God bless you. Uh, follow along with us in the next five minutes. Thank you.